They always say opinions are like arseholes. Colby Covington has a lot of them, and he's not afraid to check your oil during wrestling practice. That being said, I'm sure you all know someone with a controversial opinion on MMA. It might be about how the sports run, how the rules should be changed, or even who the greatest of all time might be. As much fun as it is to laugh at your mate who still thinks Todd Duffy could be the greatest heavyweight ever, some controversial opinions do have their silver lining. So we're going to take a look at the ones you hear the most today and discuss. I'm Balian from MMA On Point, and this is the 10 most controversial opinions in MMA. Number 10. MMA fans don't want actual journalism. Press conferences are great. The fighters get to talk shit and we the fans get to listen to the media ask the questions they've spent all week writing. But we don't want to hear the boring questions or the ones that relate to, you know, actual journalism. Nah, we just want to cheer for the guy we like and boo the guy we hate. And if anyone asks anything that might put our favorite fighter in a bad light, well, f*** that guy. Let's face it, most of the time it's not a press conference anymore, it's a pep rally. But who cares? That's the point. We as fans have proven we often don't care about the issues or the larger picture. At the UFC 246 pre-fight press conference, a journalist tried to do his job, you know, asking McGregor about an issue currently ongoing in his career. He answered these questions, Justin. Can you tell us anything specifically about the status of the, of the sexual assault allegations yeah. in Ireland? Half of you are probably going to complain that they should be asking real questions about the fight and it's irrelevant, but the other half are probably like, yeah, the actual journalist who was trying to do his job got booed out of the arena. Either way, the point still stands. We as fans often don't really care about anything other than the fight itself. John Jones was asked by Isabel Kostic. How come this is the third time we're actually taking focus from the fighters and the fights and talking about what you have in your body, whether whether it's a picogram or a pictogram? Why, why have you tested now? Positive. Uh, next question, please. Thank you. Woo! Round of applause, everyone. Yeah, screw that journalist. Am I right? You see, there are tons of fans who don't really care about the details, the controversies, or the picograms. They just want to see their favorite fighter in there causing violence. Everything else might as well be a moo point. It's like a cow's opinion. Doesn't matter. Number nine. We're not in the money fight era. We always have been. I'm a virgin. I always have been. Hey, Dana, how about some matchmaking based on skill set and performances rather than what sells the most pay-per-views? Well, actually, the business has kind of always worked like that. The money era, as we know it, supposedly began with the rise of McGregor, including his fight with Floyd Mayweather, and after that, the popular opinion is that the UFC became about getting the biggest payday rather than fighting the number one contender. You could look at Conor vs. Dustin Poirier, Bisping vs. GSP, Usman vs. Masvidal 2. Heck, they were trying to set up DC against Brock at one point. But even if you look at something fairly recent like CM Punk. Well, he was signed to the promotion way before McGregor reached superstardom. Brock Lesnar was brought in as the biggest pay-per-view draw of all time and was immediately fast-tracked to the big money fights. He fought for the heavyweight title just two in one in his career, and that was back in 2010, people. Chael Sonnen received a title shot against John Jones just because the UFC knew it would sell. Chael was coming off a loss and hadn't fought a light heavyweight in eight years. If we want to look at the spectacle that was Mayweather and McGregor, well, we had something similar at UFC 118, with Randy Couture taking on James Tony. Dana on Kimbo Slice for about four years before he brought him into the promotion. And I mean, Tito and Shamrock was never really competitive, but it sold multiple times. Sure, there were some fights like GSP Anderson or Pettis Aldo that didn't get made, but the idea of matching fights to make money rather than to better represent the rankings isn't really anything new when you think about it. Number eight, X move should be illegal. Aside from throwing invisible sand at your opponent, we've basically sorted out all the shit in MMA that should be illegal. Nobody wants to lose their vision to an eye gouge, yeah, I'm looking at you, Gerard Gordo, or have their family tree affected by a volley of blows to the baby maker. But what about the other techniques that can also cause serious long-term damage to your opponent? Let's face it, we're basically just talking about John Jones's fighting style at this point. The oblique kick has been called into question several times in the past. Initially, it was Rampage Jackson who complained that it should be made illegal after his fight with Jones. And then when you come in and advance, he kick your knee backwards. 
And you know, you they know, should, they should make uh, that. They should make that uh, illegal. You know, and several times since then, in Romero versus Whitaker, it was a battle of knee storms. Remember what Khalil Roundtree did to poor Modestus Bukalkas, or even Darren Till versus Stephen Thompson, where Till's knee attacks tore Wonderboy's MCL. The leg strike is designed to target an opponent's knee and hyperextend it, basically just crippling it in the process. Which yeah, is good for a 15-minute MMA fight, but not for the months or the surgeries it might take to recover. Joe Rogan said he believes it's just a strike that some people are not prepared for, and well, this is a fight after all. But it's been labeled unnecessary. Yes, they are trying to knock each other out, but not permanently injure each other and end a career. Another John Jones favorite is the shoulder crank in the clinch. He's used this on a few of his opponents, but as most remember against Glover Teixeira, he wrenched his arm in the first round, tearing his labrum in the process and also nullifying his power just one minute into the fight. Some people think that these are dirty or dishonorable tactics. Others just another technique in the mixed martial arts toolbook. Number seven, the best fighters aren't always in the UFC. Yeah, you might be Johnny Lawrence dominating the All-Valley Tournament year after year, but you never know when some random guy from out of state is going to roll into town, go after your girl, and then wreck your shit with some weird martial arts that you've never seen before. I know Randy Couture knows what that feels like. The UFC is the premier MMA organization on the planet, but that doesn't mean they've always had the best fighters or even do right now. I mean, just look at the Strike Force merger. It was considered the inferior promotion, but after its fighters joined the UFC ranks, they completely took over. Robbie Lawler, Tyron Woodley, Luke Rockhold, and Daniel Cormier all became champions, and they were all champions at the exact same time. None of the champions were actually from the UFC in the UFC. Jake Shields, Gilbert Melendez, and Nick Diaz got title shots, and people like Jacare, Musassi, and Overy became top contenders. From the WEC, Benson Henderson and Pettis became champions at lightweight. And I mean, look at someone like Gaethje or Michael Chandler and what they've been able to do in recent years. I mean, they both fought for a title. And in the opposite direction, you have guys like Eddie Alvarez or Demetrius Johnson that have struggled outside of the UFC. Even top contenders like Rory McDonald and Benson Henderson had a tough go of it when they went to Bellator. And you want to tell me that people like AJ McKee, Adriana Marais, Robocop or Vadim Nemkov wouldn't be able to give the UFC roster some problems? Shit, Gegard Musasi over in Bellator might have been the best middleweight this whole time. Look what Israel Adesanya did to the middleweight division. How many other world-class strikers are out there that just haven't learned the requisite takedown defense yet? The UFC would always be geographically locked to a certain degree, and there's world-class talent spread across every promotion. And yes, the UFC definitely have the majority, but believing that they don't have all the best fighters, well, that's an opinion you might be able to get on board with. Number six, there should be no rounds. No rounds? What, like an actual fight? I mean, that was the initial intention of the UFC, to have no rounds, no judges. Ideally, you would just go to a Gracie BJJ gym and get your head squeezed off your shoulders. Obviously, in the fight for regulation, the UFC brought in rounds and scoring, but, well, it doesn't exactly give us the best representation of a fight, does it? How many times in MMA would we see grapplers just hold top position until the guy on bottom simply can't hang in there anymore? Getting a guaranteed stand-up every five minutes changes the fight completely. I mean, how much would that have changed Jorge vs. Colby recently, or Habib versus Connor. Okay, in both those examples, the grapplers still won, but the outcomes could have been significantly different. Rather than do enough within a five-minute window to win a round and move on, it would be about managing your gas tank and strategy across the distance of a fight, in which, honestly, you have no idea how long it could go. Bazrutin always said, the longer the rounds, the more technical the fight becomes. Remember when Pride actually did this at the 2000 Grand Prix? They let Sakuraba and Hoist Gracie fight without a time limit. Yeah, it went on for an hour and a half. That's the kind of shit I want to see from Usman Colby 3. Yeah, there might be a million ways things could go wrong. UFC events could drag on for hours, but if you think there shouldn't be any rounds, well, you're either a Diaz fan or you just want as even as a playing field as possible, even if it's two fighters hugging until they fall asleep on each other. Number five, jujitsu isn't as good as we thought. If somebody gives you a bad position, you take it and you pound. 
You might have forgotten this, but the whole point of the UFC originally was to discover what the best martial arts was, and the answer is jiu-jitsu. Hoist Gracie showed up and dominated the first couple of shows, wrapping his legs and arms around people's necks and making them understand that their black belts are just for show. But even then, it only took a few events before everyone started blending jiu-jitsu into their skill set and boom, mixed martial arts was born, proving that, yeah, jiu-jitsu is possibly the superior art all by itself, but against other trained fighters, it wasn't always enough to get the job done. I mean, the idea of a pure jiu-jitsu practitioner has all but died out in the sports modern era. The closest thing we had recently was Damian Meyer, who was shut down by his last three high-level opponents, or Ryan Hall, who's shown the weaknesses in his own system and that blending his striking into his Imanari roles just makes everything a little bit easier. Even shortly after the Gracies dominated the early years of the sport, you had people like Sakuraba in Japan, who became known as the Gracie Hunter, using his blend of catch and pro wrestling to work out and beat the unstoppable martial art. Big Nog was a legend in pride and at heavyweight in MMA and had the best jiu-jitsu on the planet, but the Sambo guy Fedor just smashed through him and most likely not having trained a day of BJJ in his life. Even now, we're kind of at the beginning of the Sambo takeover. We saw what Habib did and look at all these fighters now following in his wake. If I had a tier system, I would 100% put BJJ in the S class for its use in MMA, but it's not the Thanos-slaying, unstoppable death snare that we had originally thought. Or at least that's what some people will tell you if that's their opinion. Number four, lighter weight classes aren't as entertaining. In my book, violence is violence. Whether you're Tony Jaa kicking out lampposts and flying elbowing people, or Arnold Schwarzenegger slamming a sword into someone's midsection. But when it comes to MMA, you'll hear many fans tell you, dude, I'm just not into the smaller weight classes. Apparently, a few people have a complex where they don't want to watch someone smaller than they are beat people up in a cage. I suppose in some weird alternate reality, they feel if they're bigger than the MMA athlete, they could beat them up themselves, which honestly sounds like a reality TV program I wouldn't mind watching. It's not like that argument doesn't have some grounds. I mean, the UFC themselves had a lightweight division, but got rid of it for several years after Jens Pulver left and BJ and Carl Uno fought to a draw. But there just weren't any stars and the UFC didn't feel like it was marketable. But these days, the lightweight classes have some of the biggest stars in the sport. Conor McGregor, obviously Habib, Nate Diaz. Bantamweight was repeatedly called the most entertaining and stacked division throughout 2021. People like Peter Yan, Corey Sandhagen, Jose Aldo, these guys don't know how to put on a boring fight. You could also lump the women's divisions in with them, saying that they aren't entertaining either, but women's strawweight might be one of the most entertaining weight classes in the sport. Joanna vs. Wei Li won fight of the year. We put out a video four years ago on why Demetrius Johnson isn't popular. And well, there were a few of you in the comments that seemed to suggest why. Honestly, do I think the sport is full of casual, simple-minded fans who want WWF mixed with boxing instead of mixed martial arts? Well, based on some of the YouTube comments, yeah, I do. And I think if this is your opinion, you probably just don't actually like MMA. Just big men. Pretty superficial, if you ask me. Number three, fighters wouldn't make good officiators. If you're new here, you might think the recent discussion about fight scoring and judging is a good sign. Well, sorry to tell you, we've basically been having the same conversation for 20 years, and yeah, things probably aren't going to change anytime soon. One way a lot of people have suggested to improve things is to bring in ex-fighters as officiators, refs, and judges. They've been in the ring, they know exactly what a fight feels like, there's a lot of good points to make. Even Dana White agrees, but some people have the opinion that they might cause more problems. Combat sports journalist Dave Meltzer came out last year and reminded everyone that yeah, in theory it sounds great, but if you actually look at the track record of fighters who've taken up officiating positions, well, they've generally done a pretty bad job. A couple of examples, Jeff Malott famously refed the slaughter of Joe Warren at the hand of Pat Curran and had no problem letting that one go much longer than it needed to. Another problem is fighters might have preferences for scoring based on their own styles or tendencies, or even things from a fighter's perspective, like not stopping a fight when it really should be. I mean, you can argue if you want, but I'm not sure Nick Diaz would be the best judge. Or maybe he would be amazing, I don't know. Often they've also trained with the large majority of the roster, so finding people who are consistently unaffiliated with the competitors is not always going to be an easy task. And just because someone can 
fight doesn't mean they can observe and apply a scoring system or rule set. Shit, if you're fighting, that's all you have to worry about, the fight. Just because you understand that doesn't mean you fully understand the intricacies and how to award points. Some people were fantastic coaches, but weren't great fighters. Obviously, there are exceptions in either case, but it's not so cut and dry. Number two, USADA isn't worth it. After the TRT era of MMA, basically just Vito Belfort's 2013 knockout streak, the UFC made a move to enforce a stricter drug testing policy and so began working with the United States Anti-Doping Agency. Now, this began with the best of intentions, cleaning up the sport, making it safer, reducing risk to the fighters, <clears throat> helping them sell the company for $4 billion. But ultimately, well, some people feel like it's just not been worth it, especially if it's supposed to be making the sport, air quotes, safer. Luke Thomas is really the most notable voice in MMA when it comes to the performance-enhancing drug discussion. If you wanted to make the claim that if you and I were fighting and were, let's say, reasonably equal, and I took it and you didn't, it, it tilts the competitive balance and that makes it unfair, I would agree. So Luke doesn't dispute they can help you, but the point he's really trying to make is USALA doesn't make the sport any safer. There is literally not a shred of evidence. Joe, you've been watching MMA a long time. Looks safer to you. And he sums things up by reminding everyone when it comes to USADA. That was a key selling ingredient when USADA was sold to the public about why it was necessary. Before USADA, the sport was just as vicious as it is now, and yet there were no serious injuries in the UFC. Legs get broken regardless of USADA. Drug testing doesn't stop people like MVP from cracking people's skulls with flying knees. And really, it's a huge expense and inconvenience to the fighters. As Luke said, Fighting is like smoke. You can smoke marble reds, you can smoke menthols, you can smoke lights. At the end of the day, you're putting yourself at risk at a pretty significant degree. Number one, John Jones is the GOAT. At some point or another, many of you might have put John Jones at the top of your greatest of all time list. Sure, there are plenty of other choices out there, George St. Pierre, Anderson Silva, Artem Loboff, but the strength of Jones's resume was just always pretty hard to deny. That and his incredibly high level of fight IQ. I mean, in just over a year, he beat five former UFC champions. That's kind of an insane 18 months. But instant after instant, not only called into question his character, but eventually his MMA record, as in the space of three years, he failed four separate drug tests. Daniel Cormier was the first fighter to call him out publicly in their pre-fight press conference, calling into question his entire UFC career in the process. And yes, I do believe he's done it for a long time. It wasn't like the rest of the MMA community hadn't given this some thought, but literally two days after this press conference, his urine sample tested positive for Terenable, so... USADA reduced his sentence after he provided substantial evidence in identifying other anti-dopers. Most people would have written Jones off entirely there, but an independent arbitrator named Richard McLaren found that Jones was apparently not intentionally cheating, and USADA CEO Travis Tigart said that this was a strong reminder that athletes need to be cautious about the supplements they use. So, this left people a little confused. The community was split and frankly still is. Some said he was always using, some said that he didn't need to and it wouldn't change his fight IQ or performances anyway, and that regardless his resume of achievements is undeniable. But if you're one of those people that's able to look past multiple failed drug tests and flags from USADA and still consider John Jones the GOAT, well you better be carrying an umbrella everywhere you go mate to protect yourself from this shitstorm of hate you're inevitably gonna receive. A big shout out to Luke Taylor for editing this video. You can find him and some of his amazing artwork on Twitter at cool to me underscore. Shout out to Ben Rosette and the excellent music he provided during the intro video. His music can be found on streaming platforms everywhere. There is a link in the description and follow him at Ben Rosette on Instagram and on Twitter. 
Thank you very much for watching everyone today. Please go ahead and like and subscribe if you did enjoy the content. We upload at least three videos every week for your viewing pleasure. Go ahead and leave a comment below if you want to join in the discussion and follow us on Twitter at MMA on Point and myself at Balian underscore plays. You can now jump in and join the community discord as well if you want to continue the discussion further and I hope you've enjoyed yourselves. I'll see you in the next one.